hello out there. You know how everyone on planet Earth has their own podcast now? Well, this is another one. It's called Army of Crime. And my name is Dustin, and I'm here with my brother, Matt. That's when you say something. Something. Oh, that Matt. He's quite funny guy. Matt, how's it going today? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Weather's not great here. A little rainy, a little cold. Going to eat some BLTs later. Should be Fascinating good. stuff. Fascinating stuff. So, Matt, what yeah. was it that we were going to talk about on this podcast episode? Uh, on this episode, we are discussing the comic book written and drawn by Darwin Cook called DC New Frontier, as well as the 19... 57 Polish film Canal about the Warsaw Uprising both of which are very interesting and are also very different and both involve Nazis to some small degree if you need a segue between them I don't but thanks uh, how okay. do these connect to King Arthur they don't so I did not pick anything related to King Arthur for this oh, episode interesting yeah so which one would you like to talk about first? Well, I just watched Canal yesterday, so we could talk about that, I suppose. Okay. So Canal is a film from the late 50s, a Polish film by the acclaimed Polish auteur Andrzej Veda, and it is as Matt mentioned previously about the doomed Warsaw Uprising in the Second World War, which was an effort by the Polish resistance army to liberate Warsaw from the Nazis before the Soviets arrived, uh, in essence, sort of to give themselves more leverage in a post-war world in which they would not owe the liberation of Warsaw to the Red Army. And uh, Andrzej Veda himself uh, fought in the Polish Home Army, and the author of this, the, or the, the writer of this film, actually fought in the Warsaw Uprising in the sewers. What were you going to say, Matt? I was just going to add that the word liberated by the Soviet Union, the word liberated would be in quote marks. Yeah, I mean, that was part of the, the idea behind this was that they wanted to give to be able to give themselves some breathing room when the Soviets came in because they knew that, you know, it wasn't going to be like all sunshine and roses once the Nazis were replaced by the Russians. Right. And I believe there was, in fact, Polish resistance fighters that just kept fighting after the Soviet Union came in. That's actually the topic of Andrei uh, Veda's next film, Ashes and Diamonds. Oh, this is actually considered to be part of the a middle of a sort of trilogy of World War II films that he made. Uh, the first part was called A Generation, and this is called Canal. And then after that was a film called Ashes and Diamonds. But Canal is sort of interesting in that it's about the Warsaw Uprising, but it's positioned at the end of the Warsaw Uprising, and some opening narration informs you right from the get-go that this is a doomed operation and that all these characters are about to die. So the entire film has this like uh, pervading sense of death over it in that everyone is kind of acknowledging that all of their actions and efforts are completely futile, but they 
have to kind of soldier on anyway. And the film starts with this really uh, wild, like, uh, lateral tracking shot that goes on for, like, four minutes, where you're introduced to this entire uh, platoon of resistance fighters, and you see them basically moving through the bombed-out, destroyed uh, remains of the city of Warsaw. And then there's a point sort of like halfway through the film where they retreat into the sewers, and that's kind of like what the film is named for uh, this section, and that's where things get really nightmarish and apocalyptic. Uh, Matt, what did you think of the film Canal? So I thought it was a really good movie. It really stuck with me after I watched it. You mentioned the tracking shot. There's actually a lot of really good tracking shots in this movie. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of good technical stuff. So there's tracking shots. There's a POV shot. I think there's multiple POV shots. Um, there's a lot of good use of camera position, like when they're sneaking around and you have the camera position so you can kind of see them sneaking and you can see what's going on in the background. And of course, it's in black and white. And once they get into the sewer, there's a lot of really nice black and white photography of them kind of trudging through the muck and they're like walking towards the camera as it's pulling back and it captures this sense of claustrophobia in the yeah, sewer system. because the characters very quickly get separated and get lost and it's you know the black and white photography i think does a great job of mirroring the other sort of like descent into hopelessness yeah and i also thought the use of sound was really good because there are parts of this movie that are basically silent yeah it's interesting because yeah they'll he'll like drop the audio when there'll be like an artillery barrage so you're seeing like all of these explosions but it's basically silent. And then there are other points where he'll like bring in these like faint audio sounds. There's this like faint audio in the background when you're in the sewer, you know, and, and the characters are straining to like hear, like try to figure out where they are or what's going on. And then there's a character who's a composer who is like playing the piano at one point and he's kind of like into music. And then later he is like playing a little in, in ocarina in the sewer. Then anyway, yes. I was also struck a lot by the story and the, and the characters. It reminded me of actually of Slaughterhouse-Five in a way. And the connection that I make there is the fact that Slaughterhouse-Five is about a war. It's about World War II. But it's not heroic. And for someone who actually fought in the Polish army during World War II, it's interesting that this film is not really very heroic. Right. This is not like we're heroically defending ourselves from the Nazis. It's very grimy and dirty. And a lot of the movie is spent them just crawling around either literally in the dirt or in the sewer system. And it really paints a very bleak picture of war. Right. War is not heroic. War is a lot of dirt and dead bodies and crawling around and trying to hide from people. Though it definitely gives you a sense of perseverance for, like, you know, Poland as a country and the Poles as a people in the sense that the all of the efforts that the characters go through in this film are basically uh, earmarked as being futile from, like, the literally the opening shot. Right. But, and you do respect lieutenant the lieutenant that's trying to get everyone out because he is very seriously committed to trying to get everyone out. But it's not like they're going around shooting it out with the Germans or something in like an action-y kind of way. 
it's very much, you know, living as like rats and crawling around in the sewer. Right. And they know that at this point in the, in the story, they, everyone is well aware of the fact that the Warsaw uprising has failed and that they're all going to die. Yeah. And this whole descent into the sewer system, it's like a descent into the underworld or something like yeah. you're really entering into this other kind of netherworld. And once you go down there, it's like you lose all sense of time and space. Yeah, there's all this like, uh, like, like fog and smoke and stuff like floating through there. It really does feel like uh, sort of lost in like this maze of hell. Right, because you also lose all sense of direction because they're going, they go down and then they're like going this way. And then there's people running the other way saying like, there's gas that way and there's ways up and down and you, you lose all sense of what's going on and you can tell they're being affected by the um the gas that's down there or the lack of oxygen and it's all very hopeless and they're just crawling around in the dark and it's an interesting tactic because as an american war movie you know it's you, you think of something even something like saving private saving private ryan which is ostensibly fairly violent and grim is on some level meant to make you feel better about life at the end, right? Like we we persevered. And there isn't, like you said, there is an element of perseverance here. But it, no one would watch this and say, oh, geez, I want to fight in a war now. It reminds me, I'm reminded of, there's a famous quote by Francois Truffaut who said that it's impossible to make, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said that it's impossible to make an anti-war movie because, you know, any, any efforts like any visual depictions of like battle and like the action of war will make it inherently seem exciting or appealing. And I mean, maybe you while watching this, you admire the perseverance, but like nothing about uh, crawling around in the sewers would make one want to, uh, you know, relive the Warsaw uprising. It's uh, pretty uh, horrifying, especially when you consider what they're uh, crawling around in. Yeah, and they're like literally sewage, and they're just covered yeah. in it. And and there's a lot of great shots of them just like coming down these tunnels. And you'll get the 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 young woman who knows the way is Daisy, and she's trying to get her boyfriend out. And you have these like tracking shots of them walking towards the camera, and she's like trying to pull him, and he's like struggling, and they're like wading through like knee deep sewage. Um, and it's all in black and white and it's all very dark. I mean, it made reminded me also of the uh, Russian movie um, Come and See. Yeah, I could see that because that's also kind of like a almost like a visual visualization of the old uh, William Tecumseh Sherman war as hell. Because it's like you're it's like somehow we've literally descended into hell. Yeah. And it also that movie, if I recall, used a good sense of like POV shots and like tracking shots interspersed to kind of put you in there. Yeah. Like once it gets into the sewers, I think it's very uh, subjective because some of those like opening, like the opening like lateral tracking shot almost has like an objective like bird's eye view where it's like showing you an overview of the Warsaw Uprising. But once you get into the sewers, it becomes a much more emotional and subjective sort of story like really like putting you into the heads of these characters and one detail i particularly liked is that as it cuts between these like different groups of people they like pass by the same landmarks but they like miss each other and it doesn't really explain how or why 
but it really like gives you the sense that like once you're down in these sewers, if you don't know where you're going, you are basically dead because there's no way to like effectively, you know, navigate. You can't tell what time of day it is. And you're like constantly breathing in these toxic fumes. I won't spoil the um, ending either, but I felt like it had a really uh, great ending. It did have a really good ending. I would definitely recommend this. I think it was a really good movie. I also thought it was interesting. I was looking this up that this film was made uh, after because I have seen the other parts of this series um, and a generation. It was I saw it a long time ago, and I recall it being more overtly propagandistic. But this movie was apparently made shortly after the death of Joseph Stalin and then after the death of the Stalinist leader of communist Poland. So I think he was able to, in sort of like a sort of looser, you know, cultural environment, was able to make a war film that aimed more to depict the hopeless despair of the, you know, like the Polish people sort of persevering in despair rather than giving you like a rah-rah kind of thing. How many movies have we watched for this where the Germans were the bad guys for this podcast? Quite a few. Have we watched any where the Germans are the good guys? Do they make movies where the Germans are the good guys? I mean, one assumes. So do you have any... uh closing thoughts on the movie canal i think we're both uh pretty high on this movie even i mean it's extremely bleak yeah and, and the it's, whole it's, movie is just like watching people's lives like circle the drain yeah and it's it's a good movie we mentioned a lot of the good technical aspects of it and thematically it's interesting this is like a common war movie thing and maybe my mind just isn't I did have a hard time. There's a couple characters I felt like I was mixing up. And that happens to me in a lot of war movies. Yeah, it can be tricky sometimes when, and I guess it's not as much a problem in here, but when people are wearing like identical uniforms and if they're speaking in like a foreign language, it can be hard to differentiate their voices. And then especially once they're in the sewer, then it's like, though the one character that's easy to tell apart is the composer because he's this guy who got mixed up with the resistance army, but he's like not even a soldier and he's just like wearing his normal street clothes and they give right. him like a pistol. And Daisy. Yeah, and Daisy is the blonde woman who is the person who apparently knows the way around the sewers, but rather than leading the men, uh, the lieutenant gives her permission to try to like help her uh, lover through the sewers because he's injured. So she's like at the back of the group and then they end up getting separated. Yeah. In her defense, she does tell them what to look for. She does. Yeah. And she like, and they, and that's what I mentioned, the sort of the interesting, like, you know, shifting maze of the story is the fact that all the characters pass by similar landmarks without ever like seeing each other and with all like going in different directions, sort of. Yeah, and we obviously we don't know what the passage of time is once they're down there. Yeah, because one character mentions like, "Oh, it's seven o'clock," but of course they, you know, it all looks the same to them. Right. I did um, also, like, speaking of bleakness, there's a part where the composer character like calls his house. And oh, right, and the family answers, and they're like, "Oh, the Germans are here. They're going to kill us now." Yeah, they're like she's just like the Germans are in the building, and they're like, uh, I think she says they're setting everyone on fire. 
Yeah. Basically, they're just like clearing out the building and killing everyone. Yeah. If you read any of the actual history of Warsaw during the very tail end of World War II, it is pretty bleak. At the end, the Germans had decided to literally just murder every single person and level the city. And they would literally go house to house with flamethrowers and just find every single human being and kill them. Well, there's a part where sort of the, the part where they go into the sewers. Do you remember this scene? It's interesting because he gives you this, again, one of these like kind of high up sort of like bird's eye view kind of shots where you see this like uh, city square where there's all these people just like rushing around um, and they have like barricades set up as the Germans are slowly approaching. And it's just like and it's not just the resistance army at this point, like there are also civilians there and they're and everyone's basically just like running around and they don't know what to do because the Germans are coming and they're all going to die. Yeah, and they have to, because they want to evacuate through the sewers, but it, it seems like they're not letting the they the army characters take precedence over the civilians for yeah. the evacuation. Yeah, so in some ways they have to like force the civilians to stay back so they can try and escape first. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bleak. It's a pretty bleak time, but I think it's a... Uh... I think it's a really uh, good movie. I would it, I would give it two thumbs up. Yeah, I I liked Canal uh, a lot. I would definitely be curious to see. As I said, I've seen a couple of Andre Veda's films, and I know he is considered to be one of the like luminaries of Polish cinema. So, and I, you can definitely see it in Canal. This is a uh, a great film. Next topic for today, insert transitional music, is DC New Frontier, written and drawn by Darwin Cook. And the reason I picked this is, I guess, just because I like stuff made by Darwin Cook. I had never actually read it, but I had always heard of it as being his sort of biggest claim to fame, I guess. Um, and it does have a lot of main DC characters in it. I guess, what did you think of New Frontier? It's, it's interesting. There's an animated movie, too. And there's a couple different angles I feel like you could look at this. What did you think of New Frontier? So it's a six, it was a six-issue miniseries, um, and they normally publish it all together, and there's a few other extras that went in the version that I read. What, yeah. what did you think of New Frontier? Yeah, so New Frontier is a comic book series, as you said, written and drawn by Darwin Cook that takes its name from a speech by John F. Kennedy, sort of delineating the hope for the future in the early 60s and it's set uh, during that time period or like it's set during the late 50s when eisenhower was president and eisenhower even shows up i think as a character in one scene um and it's sort of like a, a synthesis or an origin of like the dc universe and of the justice league all together in one big story as filtered through sort of a nostalgic look back at the 1950s um, you know, I liked The New Frontier a lot. I think uh, that Darwin Cook's art, which we've talked about multiple times before, he has this sort of retro kind of like art deco Fleischer Brothers influenced style, which is really uh, beautiful and, you know, which I think we're both a big fan of. And I would say that that's kind of definitely the big draw of this. I'm not sure that the setting in the time period ever really is justified other than as like 
a avenue for nostalgia and maybe you have some thoughts on that but overall i did enjoy this i don't know if it transcends beyond just being a really fun superhero story and maybe you know it doesn't need to but what did you think yeah so the art is really good we talked about this before um it also is reminiscent of like the DC animated shows in a way. It he has this interesting art style that looks it makes you think of older comics, even though older comics didn't really look like that. Right. If it's that not actually sense. yeah, like it's you could describe it as sort of retro, but yet it's actually not like throwback because if you read nineteen fifties like DC comics, they don't look like this. Yeah. And the story almost reminds me of Watchmen because it's trying to tell this multi-generational thing of the old heroes that were forced into retirement, which is like the Justice Society. And then there's a new generation kind of trying to find its feet. And there are shades of Dark Knight Returns, I think, in the Superman story because in here he's kind of cooperating with the government in the way he does in Dark Knight Returns. Um, you get, it has the Challengers of the Unknown. It has some characters from the Suicide Squad. It has... The Losers, it has the Blackhawks. There's a lot in here. He seems to be trying to create like a unified theory of DC, of the DC universe. Yeah. Trying to find a place for everything and putting everything on a timeline so that like all fits together, which is fun in a way. And it actually made me like Hal Jordan. I don't normally like Hal Jordan. I find Hal Jordan to be like the generic white bread guy. He's like the type A personality who punches things and flirts with attractive women, which is like the most boring character archetype. Hal Jordan being the second Green Lantern, and he is, for a sprawling cast as this book has, he's the closest really to like a protagonist throughout the story. Yeah, and I was surprised because I actually liked his character. And in many ways, I think he did a decent job of hanging the story on him. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned, I also had uh, thoughts, uh, was reminded of Watchmen and of Dark Knight Returns in this. Um, and it seems like, I'm not sure that the comparisons really uh, are good for the new frontier though, because it seems like it doesn't really carry over any of the thematic weight of those stories, you know, because this no, is- they are they are um, superficial comparisons, but that's where my mind went to. Yeah, no, I mean, I had the same idea. It seems like the because the, there's a whole thing of where the government forces all of these superheroes to retire. And it feels very much like the exact same thing as the as the one of the main plot points in Watchmen. And then even like in Watchmen, you have uh, like government sanctioned super powered people fighting in Vietnam. In Watchmen, it was uh, Dr. Manhattan. And here it's Wonder Woman and Superman. But unlike in Watchmen, you, you don't really get a sense of like a, the political critique of these like super powered authority figures. And like I said, it, it doesn't really need that. But like it was, I found it to be a little bit disappointing that other than like these sort of some like superficial nods, it uh, basically just fully embraces the idea of heroism and nostalgia. One of the wrinkles I thought was interesting was his treatment of Wonder Woman, though, because she is a character that refuses at some point refuses to work with the U.S. government anymore. Yeah. For exactly those kinds of political reasons. And you have Hal Jordan, who was always like a conscientious objector during the Korean War. 
And people always kind of thought of him as a coward because of that. So I think there was some interesting thematic material. And no, it, it's not up to the snuff of those other kind of things I was mentioning. A lot of the things that he seems to be mixing in here, too, is like old timey, like monster movie kind of conventions. And I yeah. will give away what the villain is. But there's a lot of like 50s monster movie things going on here. And like I said, he incorporates like Challengers of the Unknown, the Losers, the Blackhawks, um, all kinds of other like lesser kind of known properties. I think there's a reference to the Unknown Soldier, Sergeant and Rock. the land that time forgot ends up yeah. like a big part. Yeah, it, the, the story ends up taking on this sort of like 50s sci-fi feel, which of course is very fitting for the for the setting. Was there any other characters that you had interesting thoughts on in relation to their regular versions? Like I said, Superman kind of reminded me of Superman from DKR, but he doesn't end up playing a very big role. I did like the wrinkle of Wonder Woman taking sort of a moral stand against the U.S. government. Um, I actually liked his take on Hal Jordan, and I normally don't like Hal Jordan. His Martian Manhunter was a little interesting. Um, is The idea being that as an alien, he bases his whole persona off of watching TV. Yeah, so he talks in sort of like these, he says like gee whiz and stuff that other characters think he's like corny because he like his vocabulary is all formed from like uh, studying American life through television. I quite like the thing at the beginning with the losers when they first go to the land that time forgot. I don't know if your version had that in it. Yeah, isn't that just the beginning of the story? I think there's actually a separate issue before the first issue. Oh, the prologue. Okay. Yeah. You know, I feel like you could almost do more because this this whole speech of that JFK gives about the new frontier. If we interrogate that, I think we would find some interesting angles. We could talk about because he in in specifically he talks about the frontier as like the West, right? And now we're making a new frontier, and obviously the frontier of the West is a construct from the perspective of euro-american settlement and so on it doesn't really buy into the premise of like what world are these heroes going to create now if if we say the new frontier is like humanity and humans well-being like what is the world they're going to make now and it doesn't really go into that and that might have been interesting yeah like i said it, it um does not really delve into much beyond the surface it ends up just being like you know a celebration of retro nostalgia which you know, like, I guess that's fine. It can be, you know, what it is. Though it's interesting yeah. when it seems to, like, directly be um, borrowing or, like, referencing. And, you know, maybe it all is just a coincidence, but it's interesting when it directly um, echoes Watchmen. And instead of, like, having any of the points, instead of being like, what if these authority figures that we put our trust in were just, like, the same kind of screwed up people as everyone else? And the, and the new frontier is like, but what if they weren't and they were awesome? Yeah. Um, well, you know, one thing I think is really cool. I mean, we're talking about the art. Um, yeah, which and is great. He, yeah, he does this thing where there'll be like, and he does this a lot throughout the story where there'll be like three wide panels per page. And then sometimes he'll like break those up into like, like split them in half. But the three wide panels per page kind of gives it this like, uh, epic sort of like cinemascope feel, which I think is like very fitting for the story because it's like a, you know, it's a big story. It's a retro story. It's, it's uh, for lack of a better term, it has this kind of like cinematic feel. 
So I think the way that he effectively like opens it up in that sense with these like, you know, there'll be a lot of like where you turn the page and you'll see one, two, three panels on one page and then one, two, three panels on the next page. It's like it's advancing in sort of these, you know, large compositions with this like epic story, um, which I think is, you know, a really good touch. And he does a lot of like really you know, interesting stuff. Like, there's also a lot of, like, single... Not a lot, but there are some really nice, like, single, like, splash pages, like, of Green Lantern, or there's one at the beginning where one of the losers is diving into the mouth of a T-Rex with two hand grenades. Yeah, that's a great moment. That's a great moment. Um, Or when you meet Wonder Woman and she's started a female-only Vietnamese rebellion. She's, like, standing on a table. yeah. And it gives you the very much the Wonder Woman as like the the triumphant like warrior who's like you know throwing it back with the gals as compared right. to, to Superman's like but what about the rules? Right. You know what I almost thought after reading this was that I wish that yeah, a lot of this is like he's making like an origin story for the Justice League in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and my thought after reading was like. I want more now, now that we've set everything up, let's do the next thing, right? Yeah, you know, I had a similar thought of sort of like, you could do like a whole series set in the New Frontier averse. Right, and you could move forward. Setting it into a specific time is interesting because comics don't normally do that, and you could have them move through history, which this does a little bit by having them jump into current events, like it mentions Korea, Vietnam, those sorts of things. That would actually be very interesting. I would love if that existed. It doesn't exist. But that that was my thought after reading it, is you read it and you're like, that was cool. Now let's turn the page. Oh, wait, now it's over. Now I'm sad. Well, the the ending does basically, like you said, it's kind of an origin for the Justice League. So like the ending sort of directly references the very first Justice League comic. Yeah, And, you know, it's like all these characters actually didn't exist around the same time. Well, most of them existed around the same time in the 1950s, but he kind of like weaves them together into one larger story. And... So it's kind of like the unified theory of DC, because all of these things were not created to be together, right? They're all separate things. And in comic continuity, you put retcons in and you do reboots and you kind of smush everything in at weird angles. And he very seamlessly weaves together what is actually many, many different properties that don't always even make sense together. Yeah, you know, I'd mentioned that this kind of succeeds, maybe not just as, but as like a really fun superhero story. But if it does have like a deeper point going on that a person, you know, could hang on to, I think it would be the idea of like synthesizing all of these characters together into one like unified story, which I think he is generally um, pretty effective at doing. One character that I would have liked to see more of is his version of Steel or John Henry Irons, which is a vigilante that's fighting in the South against like lynchings and firebombings by the KKK, which is him flirting with the idea of them interacting with the politics of the time using a sort of modern sensibility. I mean, not necessarily modern sensibility, because obviously there was a lot of people on the right side of history in history, but 
looking back and trying to figure out how would the heroes actually react to some of these very negative elements that existed in society that, of course, still exist in society. And he d tells an interesting story with that. And I would have also liked to see more of that if it was more of that angle or like the idea at the beginning where Wonder Woman is actually forming her own rebel army inside Vietnam. Some of those ideas are sort of juggled around and not really. Yeah, it, it does sort of to the rest of it. It does sort of flirt with like confronting sort these like really, you know, naughty ideas that were going, you know, these sort of like more difficult aspects of the time period rather than like the gee whiz cool aspects of the 1950s. But it, then it does uh, end up sort of like dropping them. And yes, I was also kind of disappointed by his version of Steel is it's like an update of the Superman character Steel, but it's but it's the closest that he comes to like a totally original DC superhero in this where he actually, in another Watchmen, he kind of looks like uh, Hooded Justice from uh, the Minutemen. Because he has, like, uh, a black hood and a noose. And he has two hammers because he's, like, a, uh, a black man that the clan tried to hang, tried to lynch. And now he's, like, back and he's, like, uh, wreaking havoc on them. Um, but, yeah, he ends up not uh, sticking around in the story for all that long, which I was also kind of disappointed by. It would have been really interesting, and again, this is probably beyond the scope of the New Frontier, if they would have been able to weave in more stories like his into the larger uh, narrative. But Right, like what would happen if the heroes stopped John F. Kennedy's assassination or brought a peaceful end to conflict in Vietnam, that sort of thing, or put their thumb on the scale for civil rights? Kinds of angles like that would be interesting, and like he kind of hints at some of that stuff. And then ultimately, he's kind of more interested in the 1950s sci-fi monster movie yeah. as an origin for the Justice League, which is, you know, again, that's not bad if that's... Well, I would have wanted more. I guess you could just do more. I guess that's the complaint is that you could have spun so much of this out into different directions. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, but even if you were to say all it is is like a really beautiful, really fun superhero story, I mean, that's not nothing. No, no, it is really good. I think it's... I think it's a really good, it is a good story. It is a beautifully well-drawn story, right? The art is amazing. As you mentioned, he does a lot of interesting technical things of keeping like a pace going really fast. You know, it feels like fast paced, right? And you, like you mentioned with those three panels, which he does a lot, the three horizontal panels on each page. And there's a lot of great splash images, that sort of thing. As an artifact, I guess I just wish... It almost feels incomplete, I guess. Did your version that you read have this one shot that's like uh, Justice League, the new frontier? I don't believe that it did. I've seen there's a lot of different editions of this. There's... I think that is because he did revisit the concept a couple times. So there's Justice League, the new frontier, which is untold stories from the new frontier. It has Superman and Batman fighting, Robin and Kid Flash and Wonder Woman and Black Canary. Does yours not have that? I don't believe that it did, no. It, it actually, it, it details the fight sequence that it sort of hints that Batman and Superman had. It like actually shows that. And then, yeah, there's like the origin of the Teen Titans where sort of Robin and Kid Flash uh, are on an adventure. And then there's one 
where Wonder Woman and Black Canary go undercover at a Playboy club because Wonder Woman uh, wants to teach all of the men about how they should respect women more. And then so she like goes undercover there and then she like goes on stage and gives them all the speech about how they should respect women. And then they all start booing. So then she just like beats the tar out of them. That sounds like a good time. She beats up Hugh Hefner. I know that. What I guess is supposed to be like Hugh Hefner. Oh, no, I did not read that. I, I would remember that. Yeah. So that's, I guess, like a, an, another, you know, addition into that world. I think that was a one shot that was written, but not entirely drawn by Darwin Cook. Do you have any uh, final closing thoughts for DC, The New Frontier? I mean, final thought is really just what I said. I think the art is amazing. Darwin Cook's art is great. We both like it a lot. We've talked about it several times in the show. I think we've by now talked about or recommended recommended like the majority of stuff that he put out. Yes, we're definitely on the record as being Darwin Cook fans. And I thought New Frontier was fun. It's a lot of fun. There's some interesting angles in there. I, I, well, I left it wanting more, which I guess is a good thing, right? You leave them wanting more. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's really fun, sort of like epic superhero tale. My recommendation is actually going to be another World War II movie, which is the movie Army of Shadows. Okay. From, 19, from 1969, which is about the French resistance and is directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. This is a good is, movie. This is a good movie. Um, Melville is one of my more favorite-ish French directors from that time period. He made one of my favorite movies of all time, Le Samurai. Melville, of course, being his made-up cool guy name that he used. Army of Shadows is a movie about the French underground resistance. And I would recommend it. I won't really say a lot what happens in it because that, that's enough to set it up if you wanted to watch it. He does set it up. The whole movie is set up almost more like a crime movie, right? Um, I think it uses a lot of those like crime movie noir sort of conventions. And unlike Canal, it's, you know, Jean-Pierre Melville was more of like the detached, like cool exterior sort of a filmmaker so i think army of shadows kind of gives you that more of like the icy cool exterior of like a you know like a lay samurai or like that where instead of like the objective like you know mental anguish of death of like hell that canal kind of gives you um yeah it's like a but, world war ii movie through the lens of a gangster movie yeah with through like the style of like an icy cool crime movie. Yeah, I've seen also seen Army of Shadows. It is really good. I would recommend. I mentioned this before, but um, another Andre Veda film, Ashes and Diamonds, which is sort of the unofficial follow up to Canal in his trilogy of war movies, and it is set on the day that Germany surrenders in Poland. And it details these French or not French, uh, Polish underground resistance fighters. And it's basically them reckoning with a new reality of Soviet rule and basically having to decide, are they going to keep fighting against the Soviets or are they like laying down their arms? Like the beginning of the film 
has a Polish underground fighter assassinating like a Russian officer that they had previously been like fighting alongside, but he's like uh, basically continuing the resistance. And the character always wears these like sunglasses, which at first he you kind of wonder if he's some kind of like hipster doofus, but then it's revealed later that his uh, vision was permanently damaged by running around in the sewers during the Warsaw Uprising. So he always like wears uh, sunglasses around. And again, it's it's a film that was made in a period where there were a surprising amount of leeway of what you could get away with in a film in communist Poland. I liked it even better than Canal. It's not quite as grim. It's more poetic, maybe. But it uh, really, like, um, is a really fascinating film of, of sort of these people grappling with you know, their place in what is the new modern Poland on the day the Nazis surrender. Well, that was technically an episode of a podcast. I mean, you're not wrong. It really was. Website is armyofcrime.com. Uh, we are on Twitter, army of, at Army of Crime, at Dustin444444. If you want to yell at us, or if we would very much appreciate uh, any and all reviews, which boosts you up the podcast charts by which we all govern our lives. Isn't that right, Dustin? I govern my life by podcast ranking charts. Like Instead of checking the stocks in the morning, I see what, who's up and who's down. Yeah, that's the that's the way of the future. Stay alive out there, everyone. Say it again. Sorry, I was rubbing the microphone.